Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Romans chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, where God was speaking about Jacob and Esau. The Lord stated that Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. And in the previous program, I explained that this was not a matter of God just hating somebody. What it really means in terms of a Hebraic idiomatic expression is that he did love Esau, but that he loved Jacob more. He did love Esau, but he loved Jacob to the extent that it was as if he hated Esau. Now, why was that? I explained in the previous program that the reason why was because Esau had a certain attitude. He had an element within his character such that he was willing to sell his inheritance for a bowl of stew or a bowl of soup just for a meal. Jacob, on the other hand, was willing to be deceptive if necessary in order to obtain an increase in an inheritance. And I explain this in the context of our own life in Christ Jesus, that once we are children of God, our life in Christ Jesus and our maturity in our relationship with him can really be described by our discovery and our application of what we have received in Christ Jesus as a result of his death, which is described as an inheritance that we have received according to the will of God. And so I personally believe that this is a foreshadowing of the importance of this idea of an inheritance that we have now received, and that that was really the main purpose for that. But in Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul uses this in order to explain that the living God is a person, he's an individual, and he can decide who he is happy with and who he's not happy with. He can decide who he is going to enjoy and who he's not going to enjoy according to his belief, according to his feelings, according to the way that he sees the world that he is a part of. Now, what we can do in response to that is we can pass judgment against God. That's why he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. That's a way of saying that God is just or he's unjust, and we are the ones who are going to decide if he is unjust or if he is exercising injustice or if he's just. No, we're not the ones who make that kind of a decision. But when we hear things like, God does not enjoy one person as much as he enjoys somebody else, well, then people can feel tempted to pass judgment against God and say things like, well, I don't know. I don't know. If there's a God, if there really is a God, if you really are God, I think you should love everybody equally. I think that you should enjoy everybody equally. 
I mean, what kind of a God could you be if you don't enjoy everyone the same, if you don't treat everyone the same? How can you really be the kind of God that I want? Well, that's the problem. The problem is, is that you want a different God. You don't want the God who is, the one who is alive, the one who is living, the one who really created you, and the one who has defined all things in the universe. You don't want that God. You want a God of your own personal imagination, of your own personal fantasy. You're not interested in the true and living God to pass judgment on him and say that this or that or anything for that matter is unacceptable, is to fully reject, completely, totally reject the notion or the idea that he is God at all. That's why I believe he says, may it never be, never, we are never to say that there is justice with God or injustice with God. We are not the ones who make those claims, make those assertions. We are not the ones who represent righteousness, justice, and truth. We're not the ones who make those kinds of determinations. We can testify of his justice. We can testify of that. But that is not the same as endorsing it or declaring that it is acceptable or unacceptable. So if God really does want to hate somebody and love somebody else, then he gets to do that. Now, again, I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. But if we were to assume just for a moment that he decides to hate somebody, then he can do that. And I am not going to be the one to say that that is unjust. I'm not going to do that because he is God. And if he wants to do that, he can do that. If I go before my God in heaven When I physically die and I go before him, I've given this a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. And this is why I can say this with great confidence. And that is that if I go before my God in heaven after I physically die, and he says to me something that sounds like this. He says, Aaron, listen, I know what I told you. I know what I promised you. I know, I know that I gave the covenant and I established it. And and you were told that you would have a place here in the kingdom of heaven, but You know, just the other day, I just decided to change my mind. I just decided that you're not going to be here, that I want you to go to hell. That's what I that's what I want for you. And you're never going to see me or hear from me again. If he said that to me, what do you suppose I'm going to say? Am I going to say, God, that's unfair? God, that's unjust. God, you're breaking your promise. Am I going to I'm not going to say that. All I'm going to say is, yes, Lord, if that is what you want, then that is the way Things will be, and I will not complain. I will not be the one to pass judgment on you and say that you failed or that you were dishonest or you were wrong. As far as I'm concerned, if you decided to change your mind, you do it. You can do it. I am your creation. You are my God, and I will submit to whatever you say, whatever you decide. Now, that is an attitude and a conviction that can only come from a person who really knows him who really knows that he really is the one who's in charge. Any other attitude than that will show that this is an individual who doesn't even recognize the existence of a true God at all, but instead they are living according to their own personal fantasy. Again, in verse 14, this is Romans chapter 9, verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. And then he gives an example. He says, For he says to Moses, I 
will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. He says very clearly through his testimony through Moses that if there's going to be any mercy that is executed through God, it's going to be executed through God. And he's the one who gets to decide who he is going to be merciful to. Now, according to the gospel, he has proclaimed the way that he is going to discriminate between those who he is going to be merciful to and those who he's not going to be merciful to. Those who are willing to receive the free gift of eternal life through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, those are the ones who he will be merciful to. And those who do not, well, they may very well be forgiven, but he's not going to show them any additional mercy beyond that, and it will definitely be explained to them and revealed to them when they realize that they have no place among the living, among the living God and among the living people in his living kingdom. So in that context, yes, he certainly has provided mercy to the entire world. However, there is a mercy that will be provided at the final judgment where he will only allow some people to enter into his kingdom and others will not be permitted. And he is the one who decides that. He has decided that according to the gospel. He is the one who declares that. And there is nothing that anyone can say that will make him do anything different. Absolutely nothing. This is what he has declared. And unless he changes his mind on his own, I personally believe that we can definitely have confidence in this. We can trust in this. And we can live our lives on the basis of this truth. So again, in verse 16, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. He's referring again to works and obedience and repentance, that it doesn't depend on how obedient somebody is or how repentant they are or how much they sin or how much they don't sin. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has never had anything to do with that at all. It only depends, and it will only ever depend, on an individual being willing to receive his mercy. That is all. There is nothing else. He then continues with the example in verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Now, this, to me, is an example of an individual who God is not merciful to. He does not give Pharaoh mercy in verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And then he goes on and presents another question in verse 19, which I'll get to in just a moment. But according to verse 18, he does say very clearly, in my opinion, that he did not have mercy on Pharaoh. Instead, he hardened him. He hardened his heart. Now, how did this happen? What was the situation? Well, the situation was simple. He raised Pharaoh up for this time, for an appointed time, for a time when Pharaoh would be confronted by Moses and that the appeal would be made, let my people go. The living God sent the children of Israel into Egypt through the famine, effectively, and they found themselves enslaved to the Pharaoh and they built the pyramids and other cities. They did a lot of construction, making a lot of bricks. 
and they contributed to the building of a very powerful country, a very powerful kingdom. Egypt was a very important and significant center of power in the world at this time. And a lot of that was due to the slave labor that they were able to obtain from the Israelites. The living God allowed this to happen. He did not intervene in a divine way to prevent it from happening. And so his testimony is that he is the one who raised up Pharaoh for the purpose of letting the people go. Now, through the declaration that the living God made of let my people go, through that declaration, Pharaoh had an option. He had a choice. He could either let the people go or he would not let the people go. And in this situation, it wouldn't really matter what Pharaoh chose. I want you to understand this. I'll explain this in just a moment. That it didn't matter if Pharaoh let the people go when Moses brought the message of God or not. It wouldn't have mattered. Let's assume that Pharaoh let the people go. If Pharaoh let the people go, if that was the case, then the living God would have been proclaimed throughout the entire world. The Pharaoh who was a representative of the gods of Egypt, and in some cases he was considered to be a god of Egypt, for him to acknowledge the God of Israel, for him to do that by letting the people go, he would have then given his endorsement of the living God, and that message would have gone out throughout the entire world. That this person, who was a very important figure in the history of humanity, He was in charge of one of the most powerful power centers in the known world at that time. He would then give his endorsement and say that there is a God of Israel who is a God above all other gods, that there is effectively no other God but him. That would have been a proclamation that would have gone out throughout the entire earth. But because Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let the people go, our God accomplished it in a different way. He did it through the plagues that he gave to Egypt, and then eventually, because of the pressure that they were under, they let the people go. And through letting the people go, again, his name was proclaimed throughout the entire earth. It was just done in a different way, and our God was able to take advantage of that situation, of course. So I want you to understand that Pharaoh was raised up for the purpose of demonstrating the power of God. That's why he was raised up, and his choice would not have made a difference with regards to the revelation of the power of the true and living God. But it does say in verse 18, So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Well, he did not have mercy on Pharaoh because he took something from him. He first demanded that Pharaoh set the Israelites free, and in that way he's not being merciful to Pharaoh. He's telling Pharaoh, I'm going to take something from you. And even though Pharaoh refused, the Lord still took the people away from Pharaoh. There was no mercy given to Pharaoh. God was not merciful to him at all, and he decided not to do that. That's what he decided. He decided not to be merciful to Pharaoh. Do we say that God is evil because he wasn't merciful to Pharaoh? Maybe because he didn't let Pharaoh keep his slaves? Do we say that? No, that's ridiculous. Do we say that he wasn't merciful to Pharaoh because he caused too much destruction in Egypt? He even took away the firstborn of every household of Egypt. Do we say that God is not merciful because he decided to do that? No, not at all. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will not have mercy 
on whom he doesn't want to have mercy. He decided that he would be merciful to those who wanted to believe and trust in him and that he will not be merciful to those who want to reject him, his instructions, his guidance, and his demands. That's it. It's as simple as that. And he gets to do that. He is God. He is a person. And he gets to decide how he is going to interact with the world that he is a part of. And so in verse 19, it says, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? Well, look at Pharaoh. He resisted. He resisted. And of course, he lost. So who can resist his will? Well, in that sense, nobody. Nobody can resist his will. That's true. And so why did God find fault against Pharaoh? Well, he can find fault because Pharaoh did not want to let the people go. That was the fault. Pharaoh did not believe God. He did not believe the testimony of God through Moses. That was the fault. That was the issue. God can pass judgment against Pharaoh because Pharaoh does not believe in him. That's what he did. Now, who resists his will in the sense that he's going to let the people go? Well, that's what he was going to do. That's what he decided. He decided to intervene and set the people free. So do we say that there's something wrong with God because he did that? No. Do we say that there's something wrong with Pharaoh because God did that? No. Whether Pharaoh let him go or not, God was going to take him and he took him. So we don't pass judgment concerning those things. We don't find fault. There is no fault to be found. There is only what God declares and what he doesn't declare. And Pharaoh could easily have been thankful that God gave him the choice at all. He could have been thankful for that. And I believe that if he would have let the people go when God told him to, he probably would have been able to survive that circumstance, that situation, a lot better than he did. I believe he would have at least been alive. Continuing in verse 20, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Now, people look at this and they say, My goodness, you know, he makes some things for honorable use and other things for dishonorable use, if you continue into verse 22, it says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. That's verse 24. In order to really appreciate this, you really have to go back to the passages that are quoted here concerning the potter and the clay. You really have to go back to that because there are a lot of people who assume that this means that God makes some people for destruction and other people who will not be destroyed. That he makes some people for honor and other people for dishonor. And that has nothing to do with what is quoted here. If you go back to the reference concerning the potter and the clay found at the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 18, you will see that this has nothing at all. It has nothing at all to do with God just deciding to make one vessel or another. The quotation is from the situation that was described in Jeremiah chapter 18 
where the potter starts out with a lump of clay, and he begins to make a vessel that he would really like to have, a vessel for honor, and he works with the clay. He does. He puts it on the wheel, and he works with the clay, and he does the best he can with what he has. Unfortunately, some clay is not as good as other clay. The word that is normally used in English versions is marred or corrupted in some way. What it means is is that the clay was resistant to the potter's hand. That there was nothing wrong with the potter, but that there was actually something wrong with the clay. That the clay was not up to the quality that the potter would need it to be in order to make it into a vessel for honor, to make it into a great vessel. And so what he did was he instead made it into another vessel that was not going to be used in the same way that a better vessel would be used. In other words, what he did was he made a vessel in the best way that he could. He made the best kind of vessel that he could make with what he had. So when this is referred to here in Romans chapter 9, verse 21 verse 20 and 21, talking about the potter and the clay, and how can that which is molded say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Well, the answer to that by making this reference is simple, and that is, well, God will do the best he can with what he's got, and that it has nothing to do with him deciding necessarily what a person is going to be made into or how a person is going to be utilized. It has to do with the person, and that some people are resistant to him And other people aren't. There are some people who want his mercy, and there are other people who don't want his mercy. There are some people who will respond to his directives, and there are other people who won't respond to his directives, but that's okay. He'll do the best he can with what he's got, with who he has to work with. That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying that he just simply makes some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven, which is what people are talking about. He's saying, just like he started with, with Esau and Jacob, he's saying that there are some people who want what he has to offer. There are other people who don't want what he has to offer, and he'll do the best he can with what he's got. With those who will take and receive and enjoy what he has to offer, he'll give it to them. And with those who don't, he won't. It's as simple as that. It really is that simple. There's no need to try to make things complicated or to try to extract something or create something that, in my opinion, doesn't exist here at all. There's no need for that. All we have to do is go back to the reference that was quoted here in Jeremiah chapter 18, and you can see this in that context. Again, in verse 19, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Well, technically, A lot of people resist his will because that is the nature of people. He hardens whom he desires because, according to verse 18, he hardens whom he desires and he shows mercy on whom he desires. He hardens whom he desires because he is okay with hardening those who don't want him. He is okay with that and he will do that. He's not going to just try to accommodate everybody. He's going to discriminate between people and if there are people who are going to harden themselves against God, who are going to reject 
God, if there are people who are going to do that, then so be it. He will harden them. If that's the way they want it, that's the way they'll get it. On the contrary, who are you, O man? This is verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? No. Because if the molded thing wants to ask that kind of a question, why did you make me like this? The molder just simply has to answer, because this is the best I could do with you. You didn't really want to be made into something great. You didn't really want to know who I am, and so this is the best I can do with you. This is it. I'll do this. In verse 21, Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. In other words, God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, he decided to endure. He decided to wait. I'll take it. If you want to be an individual who will reject who he is, then he will endure that. And then, of course, he will make use of that in order to make known even more those who are willing to believe him, those who are willing to trust him. In verse 24, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Who did he call? He called out to the entire world, calling out to those who is out there who wants my mercy. Who is out there who wants to know me? Is there anyone? That was the call. And those who want to know him answered the call. And those who didn't, didn't. There were some who were among the Jews and some who are among the Gentiles. It doesn't matter at that point because the message of the gospel is for anyone. Jew, Gentile, Israelite, or Egyptian. It didn't matter. It was about his mercy back then. It's about his mercy today. And only those who want to resist him will be hardened because he is going to be who he is going to be. And if he causes someone to be hardened, that is because they don't want what he has to offer. And if they don't want him, then when he presents himself to them, he will cause them to be hardened, but they also harden themselves, which was what happened with Pharaoh when he did not want to let the Israelite people go just because he demanded that he do so. In the same way, people will resist their God, just as the clay resisted the potter, because that was the condition of the clay. So also, people are in a condition such that they do not want what God has to offer, and because of that, they will be resistant to him and everything that he does offer. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 
or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.